Hello and welcome to Love Most, the podcast with Dea. We are on season two, episode two. This podcast is brought to you by Live Mana Worldwide Multimedia Broadcasting Network, powered by E360 TV. Love Most, the podcast, when I thought about it as a concept, I saw no separation amongst us. I wanted to connect with people and help connect those people with you. Love Most, the podcast with Dea is an inclusive platform where I get to speak with people from all walks of life who are doing incredible things to help impact their immediate communities or the world around them in some way via a book, a product, a service, or even a podcast. When you love most, you include, not exclude. Love is not just a feeling, it is a choice, a decision, and an action. And in a world where there is so much bullying, judging, and public shaming, I am inviting you to, above all things, love most. Now, I have an incredible guest for you today, so let's get started. How are you helping change the world around you? Welcome to Love Most, the podcast with Dea, where you are invited to share your gifts and to, above all things, love most. Brought to you by Dea Music Ministry. For more information on how to be a guest, please visit www.deamusicministry.net. That's www.deamusicministry.net. Hello and welcome. I'm so happy to see you. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Even better now that I'm here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, everyone. Please welcome best-selling author, Junie Felix. Now, before we start, I would love to let people know a little bit more about you. We've had what a start we've had, right? With some technical glitches and bloopers, but we are here and we're so excited. So let me tell you a little bit about who Junie is. First of all, Junie, you are a woman of prayer. And I love that you started your bio that way. It means so much to me. You are a best-selling best author of the book, You Are Worth the Work, Moving Forward from Trauma to Faith. You're also a member of Dr. B.J. Fogg's Behavior Design Teaching Team. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. You're also a speaker, a radio and podcast host. And in your spare time, it says here that you are a distance runner, a video gamer, and a sci-fi movie buff. I love that. Okay. Oh, yeah. It also says that your motto is that kindness is a superpower. Now, I'd love to add that to your bio, that what an incredible human being you are. I really think of you as someone who has so many gifts, so much to share with everyone. So I know who, for those of you who are watching, you will be blessed today. So let's start with that, Junie. Kindness is a superpower. Most of us, and, and, and if not all of us, right, get to write those vows at some point in time in our lives, especially when some event or life event or circumstance happens to us and most of the time when it impacts us in a negative way. So tell us how and when did you know and discover that kindness was a superpower or in, in this case, your superpower? I think of how when I was 12 years old, 
and we were living in Germany. I was a student in middle school, seventh grade, when somebody got a big bright idea to take a busload full of 12 and 13 year olds to one of the largest remaining death camps um, at Dachau in Germany. And as a 12 year old walking those grounds, those gravel trails, the gravel walkways, seeing the gas chambers, seeing the so-called bunks, seeing the incinerating ovens, being in a place where for the first time in my life, I was able to experience the tangible presence of evil. Now, when you're 12 years old, your brain is nowhere near fully developed and you're just trying to process all these things. And I am a complex trauma survivor, which means I'm someone who it's, it's the term for those of us who have multiple layers of trauma and trauma. If you just in case you're not, you know, Dea, I know. But for those who are watching or listening, you know, trauma is a deep wound of your soul that hurts every part of your life. And takes a long time to heal. So even at age 12, um, living in the chaos and the drama and the abuse and the hunger and the want and need that I had known since I was a baby, then being in this place in Germany on this field trip, I realized for the first time that I just came to this place where I just decided, you know, there's enough sorrow, there's enough abuse, there's enough sickness, there's enough hunger, want and need, there's enough evil in this world. I, and I didn't know who I was talking to because I definitely was not raised anywhere near the church, but I would be a part of what's good in this world. That was a promise that I made as a 12 year old. And I didn't know how or what that meant or what that would be like, but I did know, and every child knows, that there are certain kinds of people in this world. There are some who are frightening. There are some who are angry. There are some who are scared. There are some who are a terror, but there are also some who are kind. And I'm here today, Dea, because I'm living proof that those acts of kindness, no matter how tiny, they really, really matter. Now, I did not learn anything about God as we know Jesus until the 11th grade when someone gave me my first NIV study Bible for teens. And I began reading that book, that weird book with the tissue paper pages. I began reading that book and I started meeting the most kind and wonderful, compassionate and loving human being who had ever lived, Jesus Christ. And so when I was 17 reading the scriptures, that's when I decided I want to be a part of what's good in this world by living and loving like Jesus. Wow. And then in the New Testament, as I continue to read, always have been an avid reader, I hit this book called Galatians that I couldn't even pronounce correctly the first time I came across it. But in the book of Galatians, we have the evidence of the presence and the spirit of God, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. That's our God. Therefore, kindness is more than just a simple thing. Kindness is a superpower. It's a supernatural gift to the world and it's evidence of the presence of our God. So, oh yeah, kindness is wow. a superpower. I love that. That's That was a lot and, you know, such profound statements and so beautiful that how you connected the dots at such a young age and leading into the years when you became 17 and looked at the Bible for the first time, somehow it makes me feel that a seed had already been planted. I think when you saw all of the evil, right, somehow we're told that there is no, you can't see good unless you see bad. And I think when you are presented with that scenario, 
it can't help but you know, see the other side of it. And I think you saw it instinctively. You know, as a young child, I believe that God instills in us these seeds of goodness and kindness naturally. And what a beautiful testimony of what you just shared with us. Wow, I'm blown away. Everyone, you are in for a treat, as I said in the very beginning of the interview. I wanted to jump ahead a little bit and, and talk a little bit about behavior design, because I know you work with the behavior design team. And I wanted to know just a little bit, if you could tell everyone what that is and how that had play, has played a part or a role in your healing process. Oh, thank you. This is one of my favorite invitations, the chance to talk about behavior design. And it is the science of human behavior. And I teach behavior design and it comes out of Stanford University. My mentor and the founder of behavior design, Dr. BJ Fogg, he created this concept way back in the 90s when he was the father of persuasive technology in that time. That was a time where nobody even believed that technology could be persuasive. But here he is saying, yes, it is. And one day it will be so persuasive that we won't know what to do without it. And here we are living proof that's true. So in time, as more people began to understand that technology is indeed persuasive, Dr. Fogg was right. He shifted into behavior design, which is a comprehensive system of models and methods for thinking clearly about human behavior and designing simple ways to transform lives. Now, still using the same formula for human behavior that he discovered back in the 90s. It's a simple formula because God likes to keep things simple. And I call it the science of love. I call behavior design the science of love because it's all about keeping things simple and focusing on what we're capable of based on our ability in order to move forward incrementally. It's all about the tiny. So that is the thousand, hundred thousand foot view of the science of behavior, human behavior through behavior design. But I like to keep things simple because that's what really helps us move to breakthrough. And we'll get into a little bit more. I'll get we'll get to talk a little bit about, you know, your book and how that is also in there. Before I do that, I had another question for you. So let's say you, the bit, your book is You Are Worth the Work. I have a copy here. Moving Forward from Trauma to Faith. And based on the title of your book, You Are Worth the Work. Let's focus on those words. Sure. Can you tell me how you would like for someone that is watching who has been afflicted by trauma? Mm -hmm. How would you how would you like for them to interpret those words, because I think that we need to access this concept of deserving, right? And most people can't. Yes. So tell me when you, I mean, when I hear you are worth the work, I can tell you that there is an, an overwhelming feeling of love that I get. And when I read your book, this is what I received. It's, it's just someone confirming, affirming that I'm deserving of something greater than what I can see. Tell me in your words, how do you want the people that are watching to be impacted by the title of your book? <laughs> well, the title of my book certainly was a team effort. I have to ch cheer for my publisher at Nav Press and Tyndale House. Um, originally, the work was called The Gift of Sorrow because that's how it started out. As a complex trauma survivor, well, well into my adult part of, you know, adult years, um, my late 37, 38, you know, late 30s, I'm waking up every day with a broken heart because if you are a complex trauma survivor and you have experienced things that uh, happened in your journey at a time where you really just had no capacity to process or understand what was happening to you like me, I'm a pre-verbal trauma survivor. 
um, which is a term that basically means those of us who have had traumatic experiences, unspeakably difficult, hard, evil experiences before we even had words to speak. I mean, I have second degree burns on my body from when I was six months old. And that's a reminder that that's there every day. So you go through life with a broken heart. And a big part of what trauma does is it, it programs you with a lot of lies. Now, I'm also a technologist, so you'll hear me use a lot of language like programming. I feel like trauma is bad code. That's how I describe it. But you start to believe these lies from a very young age. I have no value. I have no worth. I am lower than a worm. I'm lower than dirt. For many people, for many of us, these are things we heard from our abusers over those years when our minds were forming and we're trying to figure out how to survive life on this planet Earth. So those messages, they program us with some lies that are very, very difficult to debug or untangle. So the title of this book went from The Gift of Sorrow because I am also, in addition to a technologist, I'm a broadcaster. I did live radio for... 18 years now and counting. And I interviewed pastors and leaders and innovators and, and, and founders of companies over the years. But there was one in particular, I was interviewing Chicago pastor Bob Moeller. And he said, it's important to understand that sorrow is a gift. Jesus was described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And that stayed with me. So the book started out being called The Gift of Sorrow and how we can take hold of that gift. But my publishing team, my editorial team, they said, you know, we're gonna make that a whole chapter in the book. But we think what we're hearing you say is that for many who are stuck in the healing journey, not feeling worthy is the primary problem for so many. So we transition from the gift of sorrow to you are worth the work, because trust me, I get it. Recovery from complex trauma is work it's daily wildly courageous work but the good news is you're worth the work just like mm -hmm. i am i just got the chills i got the chills i mean i get it and and it, thank you for sharing that part of the the history of the making of the title because i didn't know that part but you know having read your book it makes perfect sense it makes perfect sense the other part of the question that i wanted to ask was moving forward from trauma to faith? And I think you've already answered that question, but I want to go deeper or tell us a little more about it. Was it a conscious choice or something imparted to you by others or many? Were you influenced by someone personally, by a teaching or by some type of healing um, technology for a lack of a better word, you know, some type of healing work? Oh, I love that word. <laughs> I figure you would like that word, yes. But I, I want to throw that in there for those who don't, you know, communicate in the way we do. But so again, so tell me a little bit more about that part, moving forward from trauma to faith. <laughs> well, here's the thing. My, um, my mother was sick as long as I knew her. She passed in 2015 and uh, she had so many, so many um, problems, issues, um, multiple diagnoses. I never knew her well. She is well now. She's dancing with Jesus. But so from a very young age, when you're born into an environment of chaos and trauma and drama, you can make a decision. As soon as you're able to make a decision, you can decide based on the evidence. Now, I'm also a researcher. So based on the evidence, gathering the data, you can decide I'm going to continue down that path um, and become as I've been taught. Or there's another way. There's another way to be. You can 
choose the other way, even though you have no idea what it is. And in doing that, you will find there are ways to move forward, to keep moving forward. And so as a young child, as early as age nine, oh, this is what happened, Dea. So we were homeless during this season of my life. We were, I was a homeless child, but praise Jesus, my mommy, she did manage to keep us in school. So I'll never forget when I first sat in front of that Apple IIe computer. Do you remember those? The Apple IIe computer? And I loaded up my wagon to conquer the quest of the Oregon Trail. That's an RPG video game. I I love video games. I play video games. Um, But as a nine-year-old, I loaded up that wagon to conquer that Oregon Trail, and I thought, I have to know how this works. And so I fell in love with the way things work. And the more I learned, the more I realized that there's a way that this works. And I want to know how this works so that I can take another path, another trail than what I've been shown and taught was the way. There has to be another way. And so moving forward is essential in that. And that's a direct quote from Rocky Balboa, actually. Moving forward, I was so happy that my editor decided to make that a part of my subtitle because um, I'm a fighter. And so uh, from a very young age, I mean, Rocky IV was my, was my jam. I mean, I, I watched that like in a constant loop and I was so inspired by Rocky beating that big guy, you know, the David and Goliath thing. And uh, so continued uh, Stallone. I keep trying to get him to adopt me. If he's watching this, um, if you're adopting anyone, I would love to be your, your, your daughter. But yeah, Stallone, um, he wrote in Rocky Balboa in a message to his son, you know, life will, will knock you down and keep you there if you let it. But no matter how hard you get hit, you know, you get back up again. You keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. You know, it's one of my favorite quotes from the film. And of course, that's in the book, too. But yeah, you keep moving forward if you want to. And no matter how tiny you are a victor in this journey. I love that you added that if you want to, because I believe that, you know, the there is power in healing, of course, but there is no power unless we want to. We give power to it. Uh, one of my mentors, Pastor um, uh, Kim Jones, she says, you know, the pain may not be your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. You know, as I was reading your book, you know, these words kept popping up for me, accountability and responsibility. And, and it is hard, I think, sometimes for people to grasp that, you know, because in your case in particular, because the trauma was so early on and many people have trauma at different phases of their lives. Some have later in life, but because you were started so early on, you had no role in your pain. Although some, some of us as adults may have a role, may, choose how, may subconsciously choose how to take part in it, but as a child, you don't. So yeah. the trauma is so deep, as you said, so layered, you know. Um, but I do think that once you get to the point where you can look back and, back and connect the dots, like you were extremely intelligent for at that age to realize there is a way things work. And I want to understand how, because there has to be a way. That was in itself a gift. This is why, you know, I, I read your book and having you here today, I, I want to say it again, what a blessing you are that for everyone who is watching, look into Junie's, even your podcast, um, because I think that people can really learn a lot from what you have to offer. Um, in one of the chapters of your book, I think it's chapter two, Strings and Macros, The Power of Compassion. Mm. You speak about the difference between self-compassion and self-pity. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Oh, certainly. Well, self, 
Self-compassion helps you keep moving forward, but self-pity always holds you back. And that's important to remember. And I'm so thankful for mentors and friends in my journey. I know right now, one of my chief mentors at this season of my journey, his name is uh, Fifi Pencil. He's a pastor, but I call him Papa. And there'll be times where we're in a therapy session because I'm very proactive about my mental health. I have to have a professional trauma therapist and also just a personal therapist in my journey because of the, the level of trauma that, I, that I'm still processing through on this side of glory. But he, he, will, he will stop me. He'll, he'll, he'll listen and he'll say, Junie, I need you to stop feeling sorry for yourself. And at first you might think, what, what? You know, most people might get a little offended by that, but it's one of the most loving statements you can hear because self-pity always holds us back. And there's a difference between self-pity and self-compassion. Self-compassion is honoring your journey. It's honoring what you're going through and what you've been through in a way that's helpful, in a way that allows you to see this is where I am now. This is why I'm where I am now. These are all the components, the people, the factors involved. This is data. Have compassion for yourself in the journey, but don't let yourself start feeling sorry for yourself. Why me? Why? Why? And one of the things that I've learned that um, has been most profound is that God will never tell us why, because he knows that knowing why won't bring us the peace that we're seeking because he is our peace. Knowing why doesn't bring us peace because we can make an idol out of the why. And as many people who have survived adversity and trauma and strife and trial, knowing why something happens and why it hurts doesn't really bring you the healing that you're seeking, but it deceives us into thinking so. Wow. It so makes so much sense. You know, I keep saying, I think we don't, don't ask why, ask what is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to see? What does God want me to see? Because I think oftentimes, he sure brings us to where we need to go, right? He shows us what we need to see if we really, if we seek him. Um, you know, I want to bring up the expression, tiny habits. When I read your book, before I read your book, I had never heard that expression. But after I read your book, it, it makes so much, it made so much sense that I actually wondered, well, actually asked, why hadn't I heard this before? Because it, it really clarified a lot of, you know, the, in the process of healing, right? It, it it made so much more sense to me that things needed to be in that way. I'll let you tell everybody what tiny habits are and we'll, so otherwise I'll give it away. I want you to tell everyone what it is. Oh, my pleasure. Well, um, my mentor at Stanford, Dr. BJ Fogg, he created, he coined the term tiny habits, uh, just like he coined the term persuasive technology and behavior design, um, because in the formula for human behavior, and if for those of you who are taking notes, the formula for human behavior is so simple and it's motivation for M plus ability plus a prompt used to be known as a trigger. So motivation, ability and prompt equals the behavior. So we changed it to prompt and we now know how important prompts are. So there's a formula for human behavior there. Now, because he created the formula and started testing it all over the world, he decided to come up with the term tiny habits because it focuses on that ability component of the formula. We can only sustain what we are able to do. If we are given a task that is too difficult for us at the level where we are, then we don't have the ability to do it. So no matter how much motivation we have, 
or how many prompts we receive or reminders or triggers for in the trauma community. We know all about triggers. No matter how much motivation, no matter how many triggers or prompts, if we don't have the ability to take action in a way that works for us, the action, the behavior will not occur. So tiny habits is a way to design habits based on the formula for human behavior, based on your ability in that moment in that millisecond even. Uh, one of the things that I love about tiny habits is that they're so tiny you can always succeed. For example, since I started studying the human behavior formula and tiny habits, I've never had to worry about my weight before. Managing my weight has become just second nature for me because I know every tiny time I succeed, it's a success. And so I celebrate that success in some tiny way. For example, if I stand up right now and I do one squat, I say, yes. I'm getting strong. I'm strong, right? It creates this dopamine spark in our minds. It's like clicking like on your own social media post and your brain goes, this is good. This feels good. Let's do it again. So if I do two squats, that's extra credit. And I am extra, extra superhero (laughs) if I do two squats. So with this kind of mindset of tiny and celebrating every tiny victory, which is built into tiny habits, the formula, you incrementally move into a lifestyle of tiny victories and successes that accumulates into an abundant life overflowing with joy, regardless of your circumstance. Mm, Okay. So within the concept of the tiny habits, right? And you did give us an example. I wanted you to do one other example because further down in the book, uh, there is the anchor moment, a behavior and a celebration. Can you give me an example about that? And then we'll, we'll talk about what those, uh, those concepts are. Okay, well, I'll share with you my very first tiny habit. And this was something that um, Dr. Fogg taught me first that was um, monumentally breakthrough for me because at the time I was literally drowning in sorrow. My mother had um, just recently passed away. I was hosting a major market morning radio show here in Chicago. I was working over over time. If I wasn't behind somebody's mic, I was on somebody's stage and it just, There was no time for me to be, um, there was no time for grief. And you know, I wouldn't have taken it. So that's how stubborn I was. So at one point I'm drowning in grief and I'm not able to get my head above water. I'm just overwhelmed with sorrow. And it was a bad, bad place, Dea. It was a bad place. Um, Also, that same, within 90 days of my mom dying, I received some of the worst um, news of my personal life. I found out some things about my husband and um, his trauma that are unspeakably bad. And so that was like a Mack truck hitting me after the other Mack truck just drove away. So within the same 90 days, but at the same time, I was keeping up with my um, career serving in several ministries and um, interacting with, with Dr. BJ Fogg and behavior design team. And he taught me the Maui habit. And the reason it's called the Maui habit is because he came up with this habit while in Maui and uh, while he was there. And basically when you're creating your habits, you need an anchor moment and you have to attach your new habit to that anchor moment in order for it to successfully, you to carry it out successfully every time. So your anchor moment is something simple and easy that you have as a part of your everyday life. So he taught me my anchor moment was just waking up in the morning. Every That's something based, no matter what I'm going through, I have the ability to wake up. And as believers in Christ, Dea, you know, it's a win-win. Either you don't wake up and you're looking at the face of Jesus, or you wake up and you've got a new day. So Dr. Fogg taught me my anchor moment is waking up. 
you attach your desired behavior to it. So the tiny behavior that I attached to it was as soon as I realize I'm awake, I will say out loud, it's going to be a great day somehow. Now, while you're in crisis, that word somehow is so important. This is a tiny seed of hope. Now, think about how you can plant a tiny seed of despair. You wake up and you're like, I hate my life. That's a seed that you've planted and you're going to water and your whole day is going to just go down the chute. But if you plant a tiny seed of hope, I'm awake. It's going to be a great day somehow. And then a tiny celebration and make sure it's tiny. So my tiny celebration was just to take a deep breath, smile. And then I would whisper a tiny prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the good thing about the tiny celebration is that it wires the new habit into your brain. It creates that tiny dopamine spark. And so your brain wants to go back for more. So that was my first tiny habit during that season of great trial um, in my journey where I was drowning in sorrow, waking up each day, planting a tiny seed of hope, and then watering that all throughout the day led me to breakthrough as I'd never imagined. Even as proactive as I am about my mental health, I had gotten so stuck. And the other thing about that tiny celebration, thank you, Father, thank you, Jesus, is that it affirms who you are. As a man of faith, as a woman of faith, you're starting the day thanking the one who's responsible for all that's good. It affirms your identity in Christ in a tiny little way that reminds you who you are and whose you are. First thing. Absolutely love it. I, I particularly love the word somehow because the, in this somehow we give control. In, some, in this somehow we surrender to his power, to how the day is going to unfold. We may not know. I always say when changing the narrative, when changing the narrative I'm creating, we can never be untruth, untruthful. We have to be truthful to what we're feeling. However, with the word somehow, you're literally inserting the possibility. Even though you may not be feeling great in that moment, it's going to be okay somehow. Somehow empowers us to surrender and say, you know, we're not in control of everything, but hey, somehow it's going to work <laughs> out. That's I love right. it. I really love that. It's going to be my new word somehow. That's um, right. I was going to ask you that, but you answered that question already. The, yeah. the next question was, why the celebration? Why is the celebration important? And you gave us a very clear scientific uh, explanation concerning having the dopamine and all that. Can you give me an emotional response? Emotionally and spiritually, why is the celebration important? Um, emotionally, because it creates, it's hope. I mean, hope is supernatural. And hope is powerful. Hope is eternal. I mean, we are eternal beings in God's great universe. <laughs> to quote one of my other mentors, Dallas Willard, we are eternal beings. And that hope is powerful. So it's like the reason that we are so in love with our social media technologies, because when, when we see that heart, when somebody clicks like on our post, it creates that same dopamine spark in our, it activates our emotional system that something good, but tiny just happened. And I want it to happen again. It feels good. It's also the same uh, dopamine spark we get from when we, you know, have our favorite treats and things that are really not that great for us. But with this, the science proves we can create our own dopamine spark, which will replace the, 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 the substitutes. I mean, I had a sugar addiction that um, was a part of that time of trial and trauma that I was describing. I, I picked up a sugar addiction and using behavior design and the science of human behavior and um, you know, understanding neurology and how our minds work, I was able to deprogram my mind from the sugar addiction because I'm creating my own dopamine spark. 
in healthy, loving ways. And your brain doesn't care how you get it. It just knows it wants more. So we can take hold of that and we can reverse engineer those habits we don't want out of our lives and usher in the ones that we do. Uh, Dr. Fogg actually wrote uh, chapter seven in his book, Tiny Habits, his New York Times bestselling book. I have it here um, right there, uh, Tiny Habits. I'm, if you turn to chapter seven, you'll recognize a familiar name because the whole chapter um, is about me reverse engineering the sugar habit out of my life using behavior design, a master plan. So the science is proven and true. And I am not the only one who calls tiny habits a global intervention because across cultures, people are able to learn how to create their own dopamine sparks and just bring their life into a place of joy and contentment that you don't expect because you don't have to accept the substitutes. You know how to do it all on your own. And it's interesting because I, I've heard so many times that, you know, don't believe everything your brain thinks. But yes. if you train your brain to think a certain way and say the right things, you can actually, the brain doesn't know the difference. So that's why it's so important to have these mindsets that we are, you know, and, and in a small increments too, because I, you're right, everybody gets overwhelmed that they have to do this great big thing when really all it takes is that tiny little habit. Yes. And if you start to implement that daily in small amounts, whether you have to do it a few times a day or once a day, yes. you were really increasing your capacity to believe in something other than what you think it is, right? Because we don't know. I think in the end, what we what we believe and perceive may not be entirely the truth. You know, it just oh. may be our truth, but it may not be entirely the truth. Um, I want to take some time for you. Do you have a favorite paragraph or a favorite chapter that you could grace us with? I would love for people to hear just a little bit of your um, your book, even if it's just a short paragraph. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and cheer for uh, for Stallone with this because uh, I think that this is. I just really appreciate you 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 asking me this. So we've talked about tiny shifting to a mindset of tiny. So. Regardless of your context or environment, you always have some level of ability. Remember the formula for human behavior. So you can move toward your desired objective and the tinier and the more specific the behavior, the better. As long as you're consistent, the positive accumulated results are the same. Based on your ability in any given moment, when you're prompted to act, take one specific tiny good step toward your objective and aspiration and then immediately celebrate i believe with all my heart god is celebrating that tiny step toward good right there with you any loving step toward good is a step toward him because he is the source of everything that's good now god knows it's all about the baby steps and he is a perfect father and sometimes he's more like Rocky Balboa than Mr. Rogers. <laughs> he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. As Rocky famously explained to his son when he was drowning in self-pity and making excuses. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It'll beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody ain't going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. 
That's from wow. chapter eight. This chapter is called Faith and Vodka. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I remember that one. So uh, I'm going to ask you to read one other thing quickly because this is actually one of my favorites. It's on chapter six and it is titled um, Learn Your Gifts and Trust Your Allies, Finding Strength and Accepting Support. And oh. then page 105, just read that very first paragraph from taking a relationship inventory, uh, actually all the way into the word world, world. So those okay. two first paragraphs. All right. Taking a relationship inventory. Okay. Page 105. Gotcha. Thank you. One of my favorite proverbs explains that if you isolate yourself, you're choosing an unwise, unhealthy path and raging against all sound judgment. That's Proverbs 18. I'm bringing this up because it's very common for trauma survivors to isolate themselves, believing that it will protect you from further pain, which couldn't be further from the truth. Even still, if you've been isolating because of your trauma, please don't beat yourself up. It makes sense after what you've been through, but please take the next tiny step forward by choosing to believe that there are safe people in this world. Wow, I love this so much because I think that one of the most fundamental aspects of self-care, elements of self-care as I call, is the tribe, you know, the support system, the people that you can rely on. It doesn't have to be 10 people, it could be two people, but people that are not, you're not engaging with in a sense that you're doing what I call toxic venting because yeah. there is such a thing. Eventually we start to, you need to deal with trauma. You need to take your healing as such in such a way that you're actually seeking help from those who can actually help you because some people want to help you, but they're not equipped to do so. So yeah. aligning yourself with the proper you know, professional, be a coach, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, um, a counselor, anyone that can really help you move forward you know, without feeling stuck because some people we can talk to and they we tap into our self-pity somehow instead of self-compassion yes know? so that that is so important i want to thank you for writing such an incredible book junie i know that your profound insights are impacting people all over the world and i know whoever reads your book you know will really benefit from your healing journey as well as your suffering that you describe in the book because your message is a powerful message about self-love, self-compassion, accountability, responsibility, resilience. I want to say courage, humility, both emotionally and spiritually, and so much more. You know, from purpose, from pain to purpose, from trauma to faith, I believe that you are an incredible, stunning reminder of our maker and redeemer. So I thank you for this incredible work. Your book is absolutely a work of art, but, you know, a labor of love. I'm sure that a lot went into this. Um, the, the the chapters are, wow, so moving, you know, and I learned so much from you. I wanted to ask you one more question. And if it is any advice that you have for those who are afflicted by trauma, what would mm. you say to them? I would say take time to discover who you are in Christ. There is a message. There's a lie that your trauma has taught you or is teaching you. And it is a lie. And it's important to recognize that because when you know something is a lie, then you can start to search for the truth. So start learning who you are in Christ and spend some time in the word of God. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if that's just not your thing and you're watching this or listening today and you're thinking, okay, that's not for me. It is for you because you were made for love, by love. 
to be loved. The purpose of human life is to give and receive love. And you are so loved. That's why you're here. So learn who you are in Christ. Learn whose you are. And then find a reason to rejoice in that. No matter how tiny, just give yourself some love. I like to give myself a big hug and say, I'm enough. Something else that I do, I have all these self-care things, but I deeply, I, I, I rub my heart, I hold my heart, I deeply and completely love and accept myself despite all of my limitations and mistakes. Say kind things to yourself. There's enough bullies in this world. Absolutely. And also, this is to quote one of our sisters in our tribe, Dea, Millie. She said to me one day, make your healing the priority because I was making everybody else's healing the priority. Make your healing the priority unapologetically go ahead invest the time in your healing begin your healing journey commit to it and understand that it might be your whole life like me but it's okay because we're all on a healing journey absolutely i always say healing is not does not have a final destination right there is it's a constant it is a constant walk and i think that that's beautiful thank you so much junie can you tell us where they can find you. I know your podcast is called Tiny Habits for Successful Soul Care. Yes. Can you tell us where people can find you, um, how they can connect to you with, with, on social media and also your podcast? Sure. So on, on Instagram, Instagram's my favorite. Um, I don't do Facebook as much, but Instagram is just Junie underscore Felix. Uh, the podcast also has a page, Tiny Habits for Successful Soul Care. And if you are visual like me and you like the arts and movies, then you're in for a treat because a lot of my newer episodes are all about my favorite messages for movies. So that's uh, Tiny Habits for Successful Soul Care and Junie Felix on Instagram. Oh, my website. <laughs> it's JunieFelix.com. Or if you're looking for um, some uh, technology consulting, go to mastermindbehaviordesign.com. That's my tech, my tech hobby there. Yeah, we have both of them on the on the banner there. You can see juniefelix.com and you can find more information on social media. She is Junie Felix under uh, Junie underscore Felix. Thank you so much, Junie, for joining us today. Everyone, thank you for those who watched and support us and supported Love Most the podcast with Dea. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel at Dea Music Ministry uh, dash DMM. Follow all of my journey on social media, particularly on Instagram. I have a link tree on my bio under Dea Ministry. You can click on the profile and you will see all of the things that I'm doing. Um, we can wait to see you again with another incredible guest. Junie, you have been wonderful and I feel so blessed. I know everyone is so blessed. Please look for Junie get her book, read, 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 and, and listen to her podcast. Absolutely yes. amazing. God bless you. And thank you so much. Thank I love you. you. And I wanted to say, visit Dea's YouTube channel because Dea has a gift of saying profound things in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> She'll say something in two minutes that I can't write down fast enough. So yes, oh, lots of encouragement there and lots of great music too. Love you, oh, Dea. Thank you so much, Junie. Okay, everyone, we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining.